Well, today we're going to pick up in our series, Walking Through the Book of Acts. It was so powerful last Sunday as we had a guest speaker in the building. Did you guys enjoy Pastor David Marvin who brought the word of God? You're like, yeah, it's okay to say you enjoyed it. Don't like clap too loud because then I'll get like all in my feelings over here and get insecure, but I'm just kidding. I, will, I loved hearing the stories of last week that God was moving in a powerful way. And all throughout this series on the book of Acts, God has been doing something special. But I have to be honest from the very beginning, I am loaded with spiritual energy to preach the word of God today. I'm so filled with faith right now. I, I could probably stay here until the 11 starts and just keep this sermon going, not going to because the parking team would kill me. But I, I'm like ready based on what God has been doing. Last Sunday was so powerful, but if you think back, two weeks ago, 100 people were baptized over the course of four gatherings here in one of the most powerful Sundays we've ever participated in as a church. And if you didn't watch the like, recap video our creative team put together, because it was impossible for most of you to take in four different hour and a half or more gatherings of a hundred stories. That's almost too much for our minds to understand and comprehend. But I love that our team in about a minute and a half compressed the message of what God was saying that day and the miraculous stories that we were hearing. And I went from two weeks ago, you know, we opened this new building and started this series in Acts and then we baptized a hundred people. And then that Monday after baptism Sunday, Courtney and I got on a plane and flew over to London. And it, it was not to visit or consult with the new king um, or anything like that. We went to London because I'm a part of a pastor's cohort of pastors all over the country and really all over the world they got to sit under teaching and leadership for a couple of days, but also basically experience a survey of what God is doing in the United Kingdom right now. If you don't know this, the UK has experienced the most drastic decline in church attendance over the last few decades in the history of the church. So if you're a leader over there right now, it's a pretty depressing place to be. Secularism and values from all over the place have kind of entrenched the culture. This is happening all over Europe, by the way. And if you haven't been paying attention to what's happening in the United States, we're kind of trending in this direction. And a lot of our prayers are to, to sort of prevent what has happened over there. But, but let, let, let's just be a people who are wide awake to the fact that God's in control of the story. And what they're experiencing as leaders is they have a generation who no one has grown up in church. And you hear that and you might be tempted to be depressed and be sad, but for them, they look at it as, oh, we have a blank canvas to paint on. Nobody has like church hurt from their childhood because nobody went. And now there's a generation who has tasted what secularism and the world has to offer and found it empty and wanting because that's always what you will find when you look to another option other than Jesus for satisfaction. And they're flooding into these churches. We were in some of these cities going, we can't add enough gatherings to house the number of new people who are getting converted and wanting to grow in their faith. I'm like, same, bro. Um, and, and we're just sharing in like the power of what the Holy Spirit is doing. They're going, we would have prayer nights for the last few decades and it would be the same 20 people, but now we have a prayer night and hundreds are showing up to stay all night in prayer. And I'm telling stories about a thousand people showing up at 6 a.m. for 21 days of prayer and going, it was usually like a hundred, but this past time, it's like there is a hunger for the Holy Spirit of God and God is on the move and he's not just on the move in Auburn, Alabama. He is on the move across the world because humanity is discovering that no, yeah, you can clap, that no other option than Jesus satisfies. And it's an honor to get to be a part of it. So I, I came out of baptism Sunday and I just, I feel 
Like spiritually speaking, I am overflowing in this sermon today. And the title of what we're going to be talking about is Times of Refreshing, straight from the mouth of Peter, who preaches a sermon to explain a miracle and attempts to catch God's people up with what God is doing in their moment of history. Peter says, repent then and turn to God, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Essentially, what Peter's trying to do in this part of his message is catch people up to the magnitude of the moment that they're sitting in. See, the Jewish people in the first century thought we are currently oppressed in the Greco-Roman world. We've got hundreds of years of slavery and oppression and difficulty, very little reason other than the faithfulness of God and the stories of our book to believe anything is ever really going to change. And Peter, in one moment, has to go, hey, you know that, that carpenter who became a rabbi and did all those miracles, and y'all put him to death? He's God. You killed the author of life. That's what David talked about last week. And that statement in and of itself is such a power. Like, you killed the one who created you, but God raised him from the dead. And Peter goes on to say, this is not a moment to be sad about what happened. You didn't know what was happening. But God is calling you to repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You think you're just in your moment of history, suffering and making it by and waiting for God to do something. But God has done something. And you guys are literally sitting in the greatest moment of redemptive history so far. And all of you are completely unaware of it. And I'm trying to make you aware of it. That's what Peter is doing in the passage we're going to look at today. Now, hold that thought and look at me right now. That is what, on a smaller level, I'm going to attempt to do today at Auburn Community Church about 2023. I believe a severe weakness in our church across the board for people who have been walking with Jesus for 50 years or people who just met Jesus five months ago. I believe a severe weakness in our church is a lack of awareness of the moment we sit in in redemptive history. Let me say that again. Severe weakness for the Christians in our church is a lack of awareness of the moment we're in right now in redemptive history. And if anything could happen today, I'm praying that like you would become wide awake in a way that's like, whoa, I thought I knew the moment and era I was living in, but apparently there's a lot more opportunity and apparently there's a lot more going on than I was aware of before. You ever been in a space where all of a sudden, because of something you didn't previously know, you were like, whoa, I wish I would have known that earlier because now this whole situation just changed from normal and mundane to miraculous, and I can't believe I'm getting to sit in what I'm getting to sit in right now. Courtney and I had that moment uh, during the tour, really, around England. We ended up in Oxford for a day, which is just baffling to walk around and see all the history and the C.S. Lewis stuff and all that. But we were at this church in Oxford called St. Aldate's. And the, the pastor gets up there. They don't call him pastor. They call him director, and, uh, which I'm like, I, don't, I like pastor better. But, but he gets up there, and he's given a message, and he's like, I don't know if you know this about this church. This church is a little over 1,000 years old, which just in general for an American is like, wait, what? Like, we don't, we don't have anything like that. Um, but he's like, yeah, it's over 1,000 years old. We've had many things happen. But we just, we just started believing a couple of years ago that God could do in our day what he's done in the past. And he's like, I don't know if you know this, but there was a guy named George Whitfield who got converted here. 
George Whitfield was the preacher who pretty much led the Great Awakening that eventually led to the United States. And he says, yeah, a couple hundred years ago, he walked through those doors back there and I'm sitting like back there. The doors he's talking about are right behind me. He's like, he was so empty in his dorm room that he ran in here and gave his life to the Lord at this altar. But when he was praying at this altar, there were two brothers over here who came over and prayed for him. Their names were Charles and John Wesley. John Wesley being the father of the Methodist church, Charles Wesley being the writer of a ton of the hymns in your hymnal. They're over here just hanging out. George Whitfield gives his life to the Lord and they create kind of a, a, a tribe together that leads to the great awakening. And we believe, man, that happened within this building. What could God do in our day? And all of a sudden, this church service that I'm at, where I'm, I'm experiencing God and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing things from the Holy Spirit, but all of a sudden, I'm noticing I'm in a room where for a thousand years, believers have gathered. In fact, they, they talked about a fire that was in this church and he said, we didn't know this until the fire happened and we kind of had to dig up everything about the foundation and, and redo it, but we found remnants of all these bodies under the church and carbon dated them, this is crazy, and found them to be a little over a thousand years old, which means the first generation of churchgoers in this church were buried under the church. Don't, he's like, don't let that creep you out but they actually were buried facing east because this is where they wanted to be when Christ returns and they're given their resurrected body forever. And I'm, I'm sitting in this room and I am like, Courtney, I don't know what you're thinking about this. I hope you're not just looking at your phone. She was into it, I promise. But I am like, whoa, this is powerful. That's the type of awakening I want to happen as we look at the passage of scripture we're looking at. That it's like, oh yeah, I knew about that. And, but all of a sudden, with, with like a fresh awareness of where I'm sitting right now, I sense the holiness of God. It's almost like what happened with Jacob when he was like, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. And he calls that place Luz, Bethel. It's like Moses when he's like, I didn't know that this was a space, but that now I know it's holy ground. I believe the holy ground that we are in because of the moment that we sit in is only going to create an impact if we are paying attention and wide awake to it. Do you wanna read this passage of scripture? Did you bring your Bible on May 7th to church at all of our locations? If you have your Bible, hold it up, hold it up. Oh man, this is just, this is just amazing. <laughs> so husband just hit his wife in the head with his Bible. That's what happens when you forget your Bible, Allie Carroll. Turn with me to Acts, <laughs> Acts chapter three, Acts chapter three. I love that I'm just, I'm just seeing things happening in the room today, I'm attentive. We're gonna pick up in verse 17 where Pastor David Marvin left off last week. And I want you to keep in mind, this is an explanation of a miracle that they do not know how to attribute it. A man couldn't walk for 40 years and now he's not just walking, he's jumping around and singing praises to God and they want an explanation. And they think Peter and John have special supernatural power and Peter's going, you think this is because of us? This is because of the name of Jesus and you can participate in what we are participating in right here and right now. Acts chapter three, verse 17. If you're there, say I'm there. He says now, circle that word now. God's always doing something in that word. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. 
Peter says, I know you guys had no idea what you were doing when you murdered Jesus. Jesus himself says that when he's on the cross. Father, forgive them for they what? Know not what they do. I know you guys didn't know, but here's the thing. God knew. Plan for this ahead of time. And the opportunity you have is in verse 19 to repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That should sound familiar if you've been coming to our church for a couple of months. I talked about it on March 19th when we opened this building. And I said in the book of Acts, like I read Acts 3.19 and I knew we were opening our building on 3.19 and I thought it was just interesting that it talks about times of refreshing and spring this year, which I, I feel good. We had a real spring. Usually in Auburn, you have like bitter, cold, followed by two weeks of beautiful weather to blazing heat. But, but, but bad news, after two months of decent weather, we got blazing heat on the way this week, guys. So summer is, is like fully on. But I talked about how we were opening our building as spring was beginning. And that our God is a God of new seasons, even when your old season was worse than you thought it was going to be. I love that Peter is inviting the hands that murdered the son of God to participate in God's redemption story. The beauty of the gospel is that anyone and everyone, regardless of what they're carrying into a given moment, can step into the life Jesus died and rose for them to live because the grace of God is just that good. I do not want to be preaching over people's heads today. I want you guys, look up here and tune in with me. God is doing something new in your life. If you are in Christ, he has covered your heart the way the blood of the lamb covered the homes of the Israelites in the Passover. It really is enough. You really are purified. You really are set free. You really can repent. Wait, you don't know. Oh, is it worse than murdering Jesus on the cross? Because those people were getting an opportunity to repent. So can you. And the act of faith that you and I have when we repent is not, okay, what prayer do I pray? Or what penance do I pay? Or what communion do I take? No, it's not a practice that you do to make up for God being displeased for you. It's a life and worship style of gratitude in response to Jesus finishing on your behalf what you could never do for yourself. And Peter's going, times of refreshing have arrived. He died and I know you didn't know that that was coming. And I know you didn't read into the story beforehand, but you're in this moment right now. And you can choose a new beginning for yourself and for your family. So can you today at ACC. And he says, you know what? You might even be ushering in the return of the Messiah. And he's going to talk more about that in verse 21. Look at this. He says, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Y'all mark that. We're gonna come back to that verse and make that the main focus of today, but I wanna read the rest of the passage. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Remember who wrote Acts? Luke. Why did Luke write the gospel of Luke and Acts? To continue the redemptive story from Old Testament to New Testament, to connect the dots. And so Peter, through this sermon, like he does with so many of his sermons in Acts, is going, yeah, I know you guys had no idea this was coming, but this was actually foretold through the prophets. It was actually foretold through Moses who said, hey, listen, God's going to raise up prophets. 
And they're gonna be proven legitimate or illegitimate by the power that accompanies their ministry. That's why resurrection is at the center of this because Peter wants you to know, if you don't believe that Jesus was a prophet, you can't deny the fact that he died and rose again. And we are witnesses of this. And you definitely can't deny the fact that that guy couldn't walk for 40 years and now he can walk. How do you explain this? The only explanation is God has put power behind the message of his prophet. But he started this and when Moses said that, but he continued it all through Samuel and the prophets and the opportunity has arrived for you here today. Let's look at what happens in in chapter four, verses one through four, real quick. It says, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. If you're tracking numerically, remember, we had 120, 3,000, and now 5,000, and that's just men, probably, definitely a lot more. But this right here, mark this, Acts chapter four, verses one through four, is the first of many moments of opposition to the gospel message of Jesus. So far in Acts, everything's been great. Jesus has gone to the right hand of God, Pentecost has happened, the Holy Spirit went out, Peter preaches, 3,000 get baptized, everything's kind of humming along, miracle happens, now we're explaining the miracle, now 3,000 is becoming 5,000 plus, and here we go, but wait, hold up, first moment of opposition. Gonna give you a preview for the rest of this Acts series. This is going to happen again and again and again as the gospel spreads. But it begins with the religious elite, the Sadducees. Now, there were many different groups of leadership among the Jewish people at the time, but you, what you need to know about the Sadducees, if you want to know, like, how do I remember what the Pharisees believed and the Sadducees believed? Well, the Pharisees are the group that Jesus spent the most amount of time with. I believe that's because it was the group Jesus believed in the most. We always think of the Pharisees as like the terrible group. Actually, of all the Jewish leaders, Jesus was the most closely aligned with them theologically because they believed in the supernatural. They believed in eternal life, the resurrection of the dead. They believed in a lot of these things. And Jesus is, I believe, trying to prune and purify the leadership that he believed in there. But when you think Sadducees, just think of the first three letters, sad. These guys are not awesome. They are, they are totally compromised in the Greco-Roman world. They just want to take the parts of the Torah, not even the prophets, but the first five books of the Bible that they agree with and take out anything supernatural. Take out anything about an angel or a demon or anything weird. Just take the law, take the rules we need to follow and let's blend in and make the best of our lives in the Greco-Roman world. And the part that they were the most annoyed by, if you have ESV, it, says, it doesn't say disturbed. It says they were annoyed that they were teaching the resurrection of the dead because the Sadducees believed there was no resurrection. These were the guys who thought they were cornering Jesus when they said, hey, if this guy gets married to this girl, but then they all die and they all marry this girl, who's married to her in the resurrection? Like, like they're, they're, they're kind of making fun of the idea. And the Sadducees are the ones who lock Peter and John up because of the doctrine of resurrection. Look up here and do not miss this. This passage is about the fact that the resurrection of Jesus has ushered in a new era for the people of God that did not previously exist. And it is an era where the new creation, because of Jesus's resurrection, his ascension and the sending out of the Holy Spirit, believers can be made into a new creation and participate in the kingdom of God spreading in our day. But it is a day where darkness and suffering will continually push back. 
And you can see this in both realities of what's happening through this sermon. 5,000 get saved, Peter and John locked up. That's the nature of the era Peter's trying to address. He's going, you're not gonna believe this. He actually rose and he actually is in heaven and you get an amount of time to experience times of refreshing from the Lord if you repent right now. But what you need to know is that the kingdom is breaking in and another kingdom is pushing back. And this is what had to be so confusing for them 2000 years ago. And look up here. I believe this is what is so confusing for us in the here and now. If Jesus rose from the dead and his victory was so decisive, where is he? And why doesn't everything immediately get better? The answer to that question is Acts 3, 21. We read it, I told you to mark it. This is the moment we're coming back to it. Peter said, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Heaven has received Jesus and is quite literally holding him for a future time when everything will be fully restored. This explains the duality of our existence on this planet. Look up here. This explains why life is so amazing and so heartbreaking. This explains why creation is so beautiful and natural disasters happen. This explains why relationships break your heart and they make your life worth living. We are living in an era of redemptive history, of massive expansion of the new creation in the kingdom of God, and massive resistance from the powers of darkness because Jesus is being held in heaven until the time comes for him to return and fully restore everything. Now, here's where this whole sermon is about to make sense and what I've waited two weeks now to tell you guys out loud. Our problem and our lack of awareness, I believe, is that because of the suffering and the existence of sin that doesn't just exist in the world or in creation, it exists in our bodies. Even if you come to know Jesus, you're like, I've got this new creation that's kind of emerging, but I got this old me that keeps pulling me back and I can't change and I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe the existence of darkness and suffering and sin and resistance has caused many of us to negate the power of the new creation that was ushered in because of the resurrection. Most of us, are waiting for that future era when Jesus returns to restore everything, not recognizing the weight and the magnitude of what has happened because he has risen and the opportunity you have in the moment you sit in right now. I know suffering's real and I know life is hard. And I know if Jesus doesn't return, everybody in this room, your body physically will expire. There are depressing realities that as human beings, we've got to come to grips with. But you cannot let the existence of that kind of difficulty negate the weight of what Jesus did by rising from the dead. These promises that Peter's talking about are not promises that God's going to hit play on later. They are promises that have come to be at play right here and right now. Here's how Paul says it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. You know what I love about this verse? It doesn't say the new is on the way. If anyone is in Christ, 
The new creation, wait, what's the new creation? It's what God is doing in the world physically, but also what God is doing in the world spiritually. And the new is not on the way. Hey, when Jesus comes back, he's just gonna make all this better. He'll wipe every tear from your eyes. Everything will be fine. If you'll just hold out through the suffering, you're gonna make it. No, the announcement is not the old is gone and the new will be here when he comes back, so be faithful. The message is the old is gone, the new is here. Wake up to the moment you're sitting in right now. Here's, here's the whole sermon in a long run-on sentence that I wrote for you guys to come to understand. I wrote this this week and I was like, that's what I'm trying to say. Most Christians, that's you guys, that's me, are waiting for a deliverance coming later instead of living aware of the deliverance already given and the opportunity we currently have. I wanna be so sensitive right now because that's a long sentence. And I've been processing this stuff for a long time and I can just throw it at you in a moment and expect you to digest it. If you wanna write it down, we're gonna leave it on the screen. All of our locations, I'm just gonna stand up here, plan what I'm gonna say next and give you a moment to think. Read what's on the screen and think about what it means for a second. Breathe it in. Think, use your mind. Most Christians are waiting for a deliverance coming later instead of living aware of the deliverance already given and the opportunity we currently have. What does this mean? This means eternal life. And I, I don't even love that phrase because when we say eternal life, we're thinking funeral, go be with Jesus. Your body goes in the ground, but your spirit goes be with Jesus. Then eternal life begins. Guys, if you're in Christ, understand this. Eternal life is now, right now. The new is here. There's a deliverance given and an opportunity. Stay with me. Keep thinking deeply. What does Paul say next in 2 Corinthians 5? We've read this before. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the story, guys. God has wiped away sin so that the new creation coming alive in your life can tell a lost, dark, and broken world that reconciliation is an open invitation. And the proof of the new creation is the newness of what God's doing in your life right now. People wanna go, I just need Proof, I just need to be there when he died. I need to visit his resurrected body. You want proof of the resurrection of Jesus? Look at the old and new lives that are present in this room. That is what is supposed to happen in the kingdom of God. That's what's supposed to happen through your life. And Paul says, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation that God is making an appeal to the powers of darkness. Literally, like right now, as I am preaching, my appeal to sinners in this room to be reconciled to God is happening in the presence of darkness who are having the oracles and mysteries of God preach to them about their damnation, but preach to you about your reconciliation. Amen. They're going to hell. You don't have to. Amen. Jesus has done this for you. 
This is the moment you're sitting in right here and right now. This is the whole story of what Jesus was doing. I have to help us and I have to help myself fix our worldview from a Sunday school story that we were told because of where we grew up about a Jewish guy who died and why that matters for your funeral one day to, oh my goodness, this planet is broken and lost, but the image of God is present in humanity and God became one of us, paid the price that we owed so that we can now participate in the new creation coming alive. And it starts now. God, listen, your eternal life in heaven, if you're in Christ, is not something God's going to hit play on after Jesus returns. Okay, here's when it begins. It starts now. So the whole message today, really one statement I want to make, and then I'm going to flesh it out for the next couple of minutes, is this. Everything we do with our mind, our body, our relationships, our resources, and our pain now has eternal implications. Everything about your life now has eternity attached to it if you are in Christ. And I don't mean just people you lead to Christ and a crown you might get in heaven or might not get. No, I'm talking about the fact that what Jesus was doing was not making sure we get a spot in heaven one day. He's inviting us into the fullness of what it means to be human in perfect relationship with our heavenly father and moving through the world as agents of the new creation. And everything you're doing with these parts of your life now has eternity attached to it if done by the Spirit. So look at that statement, y'all. I do not, I'm not up here to preach condemnation or judgment to go, hey, what have you been thinking about lately? What have you been doing with your body lately? What have you been doing with your relationships lately? How have you been spending your money? And are you using your suffering for the glory of God? No, 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 no. I'm here to herald hope today. Guys, you get to participate in something bigger than just making it through this life with as minimal suffering as you can make it through. You get to participate in the most divine, incredible story ever told. And it's on the table today, like not later, right now. Everything you do matters. Everything you think matters. Everything you step into matters. And if you, if you start feeling the weight of this, it, it, it kind of makes you embarrassed a little bit of the way you've been living, but also like hopeful because you're like, wait, none of this is meaningless. This stuff matters. Yes. Jesus rose to make you fully alive. Not escape the fire of hell one day. Guys, don't stop at forgiveness. Go all the way to redemption. Yes, forgiven, but freed. For what? For this. You're alive. Let me, let me flesh out these five things, and I promise we're going to be done. Times of refreshing. Look at somebody next to you. Say, times of refreshing. That's what we want to remember. Times of refreshing have come from the Lord. That's what he's announced. Hope, not judgment. Number one, the mind. Okay, the mind. Miles, what do you mean my mind has eternal implications? The number one way the New Testament talks about participating in the new creation as a believer is through the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, verses 1 through 3, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, just to, just to name a few of them. The mind is where this action happens. But there's a tendency, because of what we've grown to believe about eternal life in heaven, to believe that when Jesus returns and we are resurrected in the kingdom of God, that somehow our minds are going to be switched from plastic to static. 
What I mean by that is that recently, especially the last hundred years, there's been a ton of research done about the mind and the plasticity of the mind. Great book by uh, Dr. Norman Doidge. I, I would say I read it to sound smart, but I read a section of it like 10 years ago. And it's called The Brain That Changes Itself. Just talks about how the miracle that your brain is forming in different neurons and how it can actually adapt over time. But most of us, when we think about our minds in heaven, we think, okay, once we're in heaven, we'll just know everything. We'll know everything there is to know about God. No more questions will need to be asked. We'll know everyone and everyone's story. And we'll just walk around like I'm, I'm omniscient. Like I just, I just read everybody's mail. And guys, you know, life in the age to come is life. And if you're going to have a resurrected body, which we're going to talk about in point number two, you're going to have a resurrected mind, which means in heaven, you're going to learn new things. You're going to meet new people. Things will be invented. Life will happen. You will have a mind. And the primary way you step into the new creation is by the renewing of your mind. This is mystical what I'm about to say, but I want you to pay close attention to it. I believe that as you renew your mind as a believer right now, you are participating in your eternal spiritual formation. You are stepping into the eternal being you are called to be, leaving behind the old you that's dead and buried with Jesus. So when you renew your mind, it's not just fuel to make it through your next lustful temptation, or oh, yeah, I got that nagging anxiety struggle, let me read what Jesus said about anxiety again so that I won't be worried and freaked out. No, as your mind is being renewed, you are being formed into the eternal man or woman God created from the beginning of time. This is not just a Bible study. This is not just, these are my besetting sins and these are my verses that correct the lie with the truth. This is participation in life in the age to come. And our knowledge of scripture is how we cross over the threshold. I know this about the word and when I hold it, I step into the fullness of what it means to be a human being. This is more than verses to memorize. This is being fully alive. And if you don't know this about this book, this is not a history book to be studied. This is the guidebook to what it means to be fully alive. You wanna be free, you wanna be invigorated, you wanna know that God's moving in through your life, you wanna know truth and not be barreled down by the lies of culture and secularism, it's here. And it is here you discover who you will be for all of eternity, guys. The mind, number two, the body, the body. Another reason why our perspective on eternity being off hurts us is we think, my body doesn't matter. Like, this thing's going in the ground one day and I'm going to be with Jesus. Wrong. When you die, your body goes into the ground and your spirit goes to be with Jesus. But when Jesus returns, guess what happens? Your spirit returns to your body. Why did those believers bury themselves under the church? Because one day, those bones are coming up. As crazy as that sounds, Heaven is not, hey guys, come hang out with me in this place here. Heaven is where we meet Jesus in the sky. It's called Perugia and we bring him into his kingdom. It's his coronation that we get to participate in. So what, why does this matter? Because what you do with your body right now matters as you're being purified in all holiness. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians where he's like, we, we make it our ambition that anything that contaminates body and soul, we've done away with because my body is going to exist for all of eternity, holiness matters. And it doesn't just matter for, I said no to these things and I said yes to these things. It's that my life is a pleasing aroma in the sight of God because of what I've chosen to do with my body. 
That's number two. I got to go fast through these next three. Number three, I could say more. Relationships. Relationships. C.S. Lewis, another Oxford guy, said it this way. You have never met a mere mortal in your life. Every human being you come into contact with is an eternal being. They will live forever. The image of God is on the inside of them. They will live forever in one of two destinations. So this, this changes the way we go about our relationships, but it also changes the way we do life with other Christians, guys. So often we think, yeah, we need to, we need to preach the gospel to the lost and evangelize the lost world because that's all that's gonna count in heaven. You know what else is gonna count in heaven? The building up in the fellowship of the spirit that we experience in the here and now. Now a night out to eat dinner is a night to participate in life in the age to come because you're there and I'm there and we have a commonality in the spirit. We got to pay attention. We live in this era. The Holy Spirit's gone out. We are more than people hanging out and choosing common interests. We are participating in the, the family of God, the koinonia, the ecclesia, the community of believers together. And so we've got to sober ourselves up to pay attention to the loss and enjoy like-minded community with other believers. Number four, resources. Resources. This is time, money, and talents. No, nothing is more explicitly taught in the New Testament about heavenly rewards than what you and I do with our resources as related to the kingdom of God. So I, I, this, this, is, this is up to God. I don't know how this works itself out in the system of heaven, but there's a very real sense in the teachings of Jesus that what you and I do with our time, our money, and our talent will have a direct impact in what life is like for us in the age to come forever and ever. I don't know how that plays itself out, but I know if you choose to invest your resources for kingdom purposes instead of for self, you will not be sad about it for all of eternity. You'll be glad this is where you put your money. This is where you put your talent and your effort and your time. But here's the thing about resources, they're all finite. They can become infinite when invested in the heavenlies. Unless you have an absolute emergency, please do not get up during what I'm about to say. Because I believe God is speaking through this message right now. And if you have things that are more important, I know graduation and all kind of stuff, but I need our people paying attention as we get to number five. Mind, body, relationships, resources. And number five, this is the biggest one of all, pain. Pain. Pain is, is not just something to be survived until we get to heaven and all pain goes away. Pain now has eternal value attached to it. Paul says that there is an eternal weight of glory attached to our sufferings in the here and now. And so even such a hopeful message about the new creation, I know that some of you are here and you're like, Miles, it's so cool that you're on fire and you went to England and you're excited about baptisms a couple weeks ago, but I'm like sitting here with cancer right now. I'm sitting here without someone I love. I'm sitting here and marriage is on the rocks. I'm, I'm not doing this whole new creation hope-filled thing. That's you, you need to understand what Jesus did because of his resurrection, bought a new era for you. And it's an era where pain and suffering are no longer meaningless. And I mean the highest pain, like dying slowly of a terminal illness and the smallest pain of like stubbing your toe like my wife did three times yesterday. I mean everything, everything has meaning attached to it. But the encouragement and the hope I wanna give you today is that in this era, every effort of the darkness to combat the expansion of the kingdom of light is a fleeting one. Yes, it's powerful. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's depressing. But it has an end. And ultimately, all it will ever do is serve the purposes of God if you are in Christ. 
What happened to Peter and John at the end of this sermon? Thrown in jail. So what, what happened to this whole message about times of refreshing have come from the Lord? Like, what happened? No, no, no. The, the oppression from the other side is real. They get thrown in prison. Here's the thing and how the sermon ends. 5,000 people are now following Jesus. Because even the efforts of the darkness and suffering and sin to slow us down from participating in the new creation, if you are in Christ, they're not only fleeting efforts, but they're also efforts that are only gonna bolster your communion with God and your eternal reward. That's why Paul says, bring it persecution, bring it oppression, bring it darkness, because all you're doing for me is pushing me closer to rely on my savior and increasing the life I get to live for all of eternity. There is hope today, and the hope is this. Christ has risen from the dead. Please don't let that be a hope that you prayed a prayer about and that you look forward to seeing him one day. That's so sad. Let that hope rise up with a life that says, I'm the new creation right here and right now, and everything I do matters. I get to step forward as an agent of the kingdom of God. We can celebrate that all over this space.